Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to creative people about their work and their life and how they go together. And this week, I have a really cool guest that I've known for probably like 13 years, Miles Nye. He is a Los Angeles-based games designer, and that's as fun as it sounds. We're going to talk to him all about what he does and uh, how fun it is. But before we get into that, I want to encourage you to go to DennisAnyone.net. When you're there, you can see pictures that go with some of the podcasts. Um, You can donate to my virtual tip jar that helps me pay for the expenses that come up and keep the podcast going. And you can also email me. Uh, Lots of fun stuff at DennisAnyone.net. I also am very excited about my Patreon program. Uh, Once a month, I post a special episode just for Patreons or patrons of the podcast. And... um, if you donate, you can get uh, you can get in for as little as a dollar an episode, or you can uh, put in a little bit more and get some fun rewards. So, if you want to learn about that, you can do that at the DennisAnyone.net website or the Dennis Anyone Facebook page, or go to Patreon.com and search for Dennis Anyone. Anyway, I'm going to be uh, reaching out to all my patrons uh, this coming week and making sure everyone is getting their rewards and all of that fun stuff. So it's exciting, and I really appreciate all your support at whatever level you're supporting. I love that that you're listening. So without any further ado, here is Miles Nye, Los Angeles-based games designer. All right, it is a rainy day in Los Angeles, and I am here in the home of Los Angeles games designer, Miles Nye. Hi, Dennis. You're a game designer. It's true. But you're not, probably not, people probably think of video games. I get that everywhere I go. But you're, you kick it old school. Yes, I create games for real people in real life that are played without screens. But, but what are like party things or team building things or like treasure hunts and scavenger hunts yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, I, have, I, I started a company with my partner Greg uh, called Wise Guys Events. We began the business in 2009. And yeah, just like you said, our specialty is doing team building programs for corporate clients. So people hire us to do uh, a pub crawl scavenger hunt, an amazing race game, a challenge course at the park or on the beach, a room escape adventure, anything where people are playing together in real life. Now, room escape adventures are everywhere. Yes. Did you see that coming? Uh, actually, we did, Dennis. We were at did the Did you jump on that? So what's great is that when, because I feel like room escapes got big in the U.S. about two and a half years ago or yeah. so is, is kind of when like the tipping point, because there's like as a jillion of them in Los Angeles. There are. And somebody, I saw a tweet that said, what are the room adventure uh, places going to be in six months? Nail salons or like, in other words, Ouch, I know harsh. it does seem like a tough business to own one of the storefront properties. I'm pretty glad I don't have that because what we have is a program that is, and we've had this for like five years, is um, we bring it to you, to your workplace or to the restaurant or to the bar. So we bring, it's a, when when I'm talking on the phone to the clients, I say it is a room escape style puzzle suite because you're not actually locked in a room. No. um, But we bring you a series of puzzles that relate to each other that takes about an hour to solve. And you're like trying to get out of the conference room or whatever. Uh, You're trying to deactivate the doomsday device and stop the madman from ruining the world, which it's a little close to home these days, but let's talk about happier things. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's the inauguration day. Yeah. I I was going to say that it was like a doomsday thing. I love that. And I love puzzles and all that kind of stuff. Do you do a lot of the room escapes? Is it something I've done like one. Which one did you do? Uh, escape from a room. <laughs> escape from a zombie. Did you like that one? I did like it. Good. I mean, it was like keys and puzzles and yes. stuff like that. 
And what was exciting about it is that we went with a group of like four of us or five, mm-hmm. and then we were put with another group of people. So we didn't know everyone in our group, uh-huh. but they were cool. And we got out of that room literally with two seconds to spare. That's the most. Thrilling. I mean, and it was the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life because <laughs> the zombie would get um, a little bit closer to you every minute. Like he was on a chain, yes. and every minute he would get a thing. And it did not look good for our team. <laughs> we weren't cracking the codes. We weren't doing things like that. Like, you know, you get overwhelmed and things aren't making sense. Oh, yes. And, and then suddenly everything snowballed and we got out. It all came together. Yeah, it was pretty pulse pounding. You got to do more. I know. They're fun. Which what which ones in L.A. do you recommend? So my favorite one that's <clears throat> in L.A. proper is called Evil Genius Escapes. Okay. Uh, and that one has the best onboarding. And I know that's a weird thing to compliment. The puzzles... What's and, onboarding mean? So the part of the beginning where they go, um, okay, uh, you're... Uh, we're going to let you into the laboratory and the scientist went insane and turned into a zombie and you have to get the it's like where they tell you the story right of why you're in a room and why you have 60 minutes right the scenario is the, the scenario yeah okay uh, yeah it's really um it's very special and then once you get inside the puzzles are fun the technology is really slick i, I it's not very well known evil genius escapes but i definitely recommend it they have a, they've got oh i think chapter one is open it's called occam's apartment and they say they're going to open a couple more chapters. I'm really excited to see where they go from here. That's interesting. The other really, really good ones that are in the Los Angeles area are um, uh, the the basement, which is in Silmar, and uh, Hex Rooms or Crossroads Escapes, which is in Anaheim. Is there one that's really terrifying? Do they? You know how like remember the, the, when when the when like not scary farm and yeah. all of that stuff yeah. started getting chainsaws and it's. Scary that Halloween stuff. I'll take your word for it. I don't go to. I know. I went once and it was not. The basement is a good scary one. Yeah, you have to reach your hand into like a toilet full of goo, Um, but it's uh, it's more fun than I'm making it sound. Yeah, exactly. And the the, one of the games that I that you did early on, I think, in this stuff was called the Go Game. Uh huh. And you invited me and some of my friends to come and try it out, and it was right at the beginning of smartphone technology. So. We had a smartphone, and it was giving exclusive. It was very exciting. Yeah. What was that? That wasn't your company, though. That was nope. something else that you did. That's a San Francisco-based company. They were really uh, among the very first in the space to do um, games for team-building programs. One of the co-founders, Ian, used to work in Outward Bound, and then <clears throat> he and his partner, who was a technology guy, built this company. And I worked for them in Los Angeles for a few years. I did all the Southern California programs and created a lot of their content. In 2009, Greg and I, you know, went our own way, hung out our own shingle, and, and went into business for ourselves. It was our first time starting a business. We've been doing it full-time ever since and still going. That's amazing. You yeah. guys started it. You hung out your shingle. How much do you use smartphones in the stuff that you do? Is that something that you use a lot? Uh, not at all. Um, we actually had, uh, we created <laughs> <we're, clears throat> created a technology game that was one of the, our first offerings, and it was a QR code game. What does and, that mean? So you've seen QR codes. They're like the little square barcodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see them in magazine Right. Ads. So among the, you know, the hip tech set, bagging on QR codes is really popular. Um, it's really in to be like, ah, oh, QR codes, they're the worst. Right. Like, it's like having an AOL email address. Some would say. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's not that I would know anything about that. Uh, you do it. Yeah. You're really hanging in there with the AOL email address. Here's why. I feel like this, there's I think some needs to know. golden opportunity out there. 
that is only going to come to me through that old email address. And if I switch, I will miss it. That's baloney, but I don't <laughs> Okay, know. as long as you recognize it. Yeah. It's okay. People like things that are familiar. That's, that's all you right. You know, if it ain't broke, I don't know. But isn't it, though? Maybe it's a little broke. Maybe a little. You know, you can... But you know what? Here's something else. Yeah. I have a Gmail account that I use for some things. Oh! I don't like... Oh, I see. Only your close friends get to know yeah. your Gmail account. Okay, well, someday I'll get there. Yeah, someday. No, I, I never use it, though. I don't <laughs> like the... The interface? Uh, yeah, I don't like the way it looks. Because it's new, Dennis. I know. I'll get used to it. <laughs> what are you? Do you kick it Gmail? I kick it Gmail. You, I think you kind of have to. But, you kind of have to. You know. It sends, it, sends, it sends a message. Well, you know, when you're looking for jobs and stuff, I created... Yeah. I have my own website, Dennis at DennisHensley.com. Yeah. So I give that email address for those things because AOL says, oh, this guy's old. He's washed. He doesn't know what, He doesn't well, know the score. He's we, not hip to the story. And we know that that's not the case, but the email address, it, it sends, sends a message. It does message. send a message. So the QR code, like for instance, there's a joke tumbler that people like to send around that's called Good Reasons to Use a QR Code. And right. And it's blank. Yeah. Like, that's the joke. Okay. So we were like, QR codes... You know, the, the Microsoft QR code platform, it worked incredibly well. We tried them all and we created, there was like, um, you know, you were running around in a scavenger and there'd be like a QR code hanging around a dummy's neck in a boutique window. Or you'd go to the hotel concierge and give her a password and she'd give you a book of matches and had the QR code inside it. And right. so it was a way for us to hide clues that you would only get if you were part of the game. And it worked really well. And then we got an email from Microsoft saying... We're going to sunset the QR program a year from August. And we were like, oh, heck, this really hurts our, our product. So we transitioned everything away from the Microsoft program to a different QR code platform called Scan.me. And we had to throw away all this collateral and create new collateral that had QR codes on it. And we ran it twice for clients. And then we were packing it up and we scanned a code and it didn't work. And we went to the Scan.me website and they had closed up shop. They did not notify their users and we were like, well, that's it. This this program is dead. You know, we're going to stick with construction paper and... <laughs> St- paper airplanes. Paper airplanes. Dice. Dice. Hula hoops. You can't go wrong with a deck of cards. Things that you know work. Yeah. So, oh, that must have been like, ah! I was the biggest defender of QR codes for and then years. They, and then, then they every, screwed you. Everyone else was right and I was wrong. You were wrong. You're owning it. And now I'm on the record of saying that. It pains me. I first met you in 2003 when I first guest hosted on Sirius OutQ. It wasn't XM yet. Uh, I was filling in for uh, Harrison on the Edge. And you were already scheduled as a guest. But your, your, your topic was you were obsessed with Survivor, right? So you would come in every week and talk about Survivor. I did jokes about the news. And yeah. then, yeah, we, we would end up uh, talking about Survivor. Yeah. That was where that would go. Yeah. How did you get into that? How did you get into that show? Why um, were you there? Well, you know, I was, I was in college. Or, right. or maybe just, if it was 2003, I was just out of college. Right. And um, I didn't, you know, what do you do, right? You're, right. You know, what do you do yeah. with a BA in theater? Right. Um, and I believe that there was an ad posted on Craigslist that said, you know, come in and do jokes about the news on the radio. And I was like, okay. Uh, you know, I had gone to UCLA theater school to study acting and writing and I right. had done sketch comedy the whole time that I was there. And that was kind of my trajectory. That was, that was the direction that I was going. Right. And I was like, well, this is an opportunity to be on the radio and get some content out there. And so that was how I started showing up for, for Harrison's show. I love that. Yeah. But we bonded. It was a love fest. 
But uh, it was the best thing that came out of that gig. Really? Yes. yes. Thank you. No, wow, no, that's a lot. That's nice. Now, um, you were obsessed with Survivor then, but you still are today. Yes. And when I met you, you had written Survivor the Musical. That was like my big finish my senior year, as I wrote, directed, and starred in Survivor the Musical. Who did you play? I played Vesepia Tauri, the winner of season four. <laughs> <laughs> Now you Wait, she was African-American, right? That's correct. Well, okay. you know, I don't see the world that way. <laughs> there you go. It was colorblind casting. It was colorblind casting. So this, this musical... How is, inside was that musical? Would you, could, you, could a layman watch, or, do you, or was it like uh, super inside? It was super inside. But that's part of the silliness It was of a it. fringe show, and it was very long. It was 39 days fit into two acts, and I really didn't cut anything. Like, right. I should have. Um, but almost everything from... So hard to kill your babies. It was one of the most recent... Se- at the time, it was one of the most recent seasons of Survivor, and it had, to me, I thought, a lot of epic personalities and a lot of, um, uh, you know, narrative uh, impact. And it really spoke to me or sung to me and it cried out to be a musical. What was Vesepia's big number? So the musical was a kind of... Um, it was a very fringy kind of show. Right. Um, and everybody was in formal dress and we had music stands. It was performed like a, like a stage reading, like you'd see on PBS kind of situation. So no, those, none of those headbands. We didn't wear the buffs. We didn't run around and pretend that we were like doing an obstacle course. We didn't like wear a swimsuit or like right. stipple beard onto our face to right. show time had gone by. It was sort of like an elevated. Yeah. Um, but like a, it was like one of those reprise. It was like that. That's yes. what it was like. Right. And so the piece was very jokey and very silly, but there was also this weird like meta narrative stuck into it. And this, I have to say, came, this was before the Charlie Kaufman movie uh, adaptation came out. Right. Because I played myself playing the sepia, like I writing the musical had been trapped in a season of Survivor that I had already seen. And everybody who talked to me and looked at me thought that I was Vesepia, but only I knew that I was Miles trying to write Survivor the Musical. It sounds overly like somebody like sticking his head up his ass, and that's what it was. But, you know, I was in college, and I was writing... Where else to take those chances? To take risks? That's, I, that's how I feel. I think you put it exactly right. Yeah. What was the best number in the, Survivor the Musical? The number that slayed... So people... There were two numbers that people really liked. One was the Battle of the Alpha Males, which was a madrigal that was sung by Boston Rob and Sean Boston Rob. Hunter. Oh, yes. Okay. Boston Rob had... Also, he had a good villains number called When the Rob Father Calls the Shots. Right. Um... Uh, but the number that people liked the most was when uh, John Carroll got stung by a sea ray and Kathy had to pee on his hand so that the ammonia would neutralize the, sing- the yeah. sting. We all remember where we were when that aired. They sang a duet called Golden Opportunity. <laughs> and that one really slayed. My fa- what, One of the best things to come out of that show was I ran into... so. Um, there was a, oh, golly, do I remember his... his First of all, you said golly. Well, I mean, golly. Golly. Let's bring that back. Let's bring, we're working on it. Okay. Uh, Mel Shapiro, Mel Shapiro was on the directing faculty at UCLA. He was a Tony Award winner and he taught directing and he came to see my friend show, which was insane because faculty didn't really get, you know, it's like the 10 o'clock, the student festival of like, you know, just, you know, kooky stuff during this whole weekend long festival of, of friend shows written and put on by undergrads. The faculty didn't come. And Mel, who was the head of the department, came to see my show, which was pretty crazy. It was long. And uh, he didn't come back after the intermission. 
Um, he caught a plane and he did. Oops, that's sorry, all good. I hit your mic. It's all right. It happens. The reason he left, a reason he left, was he was catching a plane up to the Bay Area and he did a workshop with my friend. And my friend was like, "Did you do a Survivor musical?" Because Mel Shapiro said that he really liked the Piss song. The Piss song was the one that he liked. The Golden Opportunity song. Of course. So I ran into Mel later and I said, "Mel, thank you so much for coming to my show. I really appreciate it." And he said, "Thank you, Miles. It was very funny, but it was long, too long." Endless. <laughs> so now in our family, that's a thing that we say. Endless. Long. Too long. Endless. I love the intonation of that. I think that's Mel Shapiro. Of, that's he's an American is. treasure. I hope he's still doing very well. I, yeah, I'm sure he is. He's an alta cocker, so you know. Yeah. What was the best season of Survivor as a fan? Would you say? Oh, um, it's got to be this uh, Millennials versus Gen X that we just saw was yeah. really really good. But I would say. My number one is still Heroes versus Villains. Yeah. And Kageyan, the original Brains versus Brawn versus Beauty, is number two. In my yeah. Opinion. Yeah, those are the best ones. It was the season that Parvati won and the season that Tony won. Well, I've checked out a long time ago, but my friend Glenn what? who listens is still in you the You jumped off? I, yeah, I just did. Come back to But this. here's what's weird now. I have a nostalgic convention connection to like The Bachelor and these shows mm. that have been forever. Mm. Like, I haven't watched it, oh. but... but but it feels like, oh, if I watch Survivor, I could pretend that it's 2001. Uh-huh. You know, in other words, it feels like comfort food now. Yep. There's all these channels. There's yep. all these shows you're supposed to watch. Mm-hmm. The world's going to hell. I'm terrified and angst-ridden. Let me watch Project Runway that was on yes. 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Because all the shows are still on. Yeah. And anyway... So, but, no, but, so I'm so confused, Dennis. Do you, are you still watching Project Runway? I I, ju- I checked back into it a little bit recently. Okay, yeah, and found it very comforting. Yeah, because it hasn't changed. Yeah, it's like watching it's something exactly from your childhood. Same. Yeah, it's like watching the Brady Bunch. I'll take you. And the Bachelor's it. like that too, because that's been around forever. Yeah. See, Survivor, we, they, 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 there's a lot more changes. They, we mix it up. Yeah, I know. And so, since you and I met, you were obsessed with Survivor. You wrote the musical. You got to go into that world. Yeah, yeah. And, Tell uh, me about that. So in 2007, I had this like kind of forehead slap moment. Like, so, so I love Survivor. I love the characters, and I love the gameplay, and I really love the challenges. I know there are some people who skip forward past the challenges because what they like is the you know the, the strategy or just the human drama. But I really enjoy each week. There's going to be one or two or sometimes three of these games, mental or physical or, or, or uh, you know endurance. I really like the challenges, and as a super fan who, like, you know, when I was, like, in in college, you know, writing Survivor the Musical, or, like, you know, daydreaming in class, I'd be, like, you know, writing in the margins of my notebook, like, what would be a good season of All-Stars, you know, before there was a season of All-Stars. Yeah, like, you would cast it. I would cast it, and then I would be like, well, okay, then I'll split them into two tribes. Okay, well, which tribe would probably lose the first challenge? Well, which person would probably be voted out first? Right. I'm, like, playing out this whole, like, uh... Running a simulation in the margins of my lined notebook. Right. Um, and But I spent a lot of time thinking about the challenges. And I was like, oh, you know, they've done this and that, but they haven't done that. Hmm, that's interesting. And the forehead slap moment was like, hey, you know, I live in L.A. And most TV production happens in L.A. So maybe, like, I could talk to somebody who, like, works on Survivor because this is where TV happens. So I sent a cold call email to John Kerhofer, who is the producer of the challenge department, and he gave me the opportunity to come in and interview and pitch some ideas. 
and um, I got a job uh, consulting on the show. So I've had the opportunity to contribute some ideas uh, to Survivor. Right, since then. So you, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's sort of an ongoing thing. Yeah. How did you get his email? Uh, that was uh, a friend's wife. Uh, my friend Chris, who we did improv together, and his wife was one of the shrinks on Survivor, and she hooked me up with the email. Let's see, a little bit of this and a little bit of a friend, and then yeah, that. yeah, that's it was, cool. It was, though. She did, she did me a very uh, a kindness. Yeah. So you go in to meet him for the first time. Mm-hmm. Were you a wreck? Were you nervous? Were you over prepared? Uh, I felt like if I, um, you know, dropped some intentional. Remarks that made it clear that I was like a all-in super right. fan nerd. And something that's interesting that I didn't know at the time was they were casting the first season of Fans versus Favorites at that time. Right. And so during the interview, one of the other guys who was in the room, Dan Mundy, who has since gone on to be a terrific reality show producer, he ran the art department at Survivor for many years and uh, he created a lot of classic challenges and has done a lot of great work in reality TV. He said... Have you thought about being on the show? And of course, I mean, I've thought about it, but ultimately I was like, you know, and I don't even know that if I was like, yes, this is what I want. I want to be on server. I don't know that I would get cast. I don't know if I necessarily fit a correct type. Right. I feel like I would have a better chance of getting cast now because now I can be the funny dad. Right. Whereas at the time when I was like 23, 24, I wasn't really anything. You know, I wasn't the athletic type. I wasn't the surfer bro type. Yeah. I wasn't the kind of type you would necessarily see on Survivor. I think I was like more like an older type, and luckily, as time has progressed in a linear fashion, I've grown more into my reality TV type. That's good. But what I said was, um, uh, you know, I think I, I, there was a guy called named Brian Corden who played Survivor Guatemala, and he was a super fan, and he had a lot of skills. He was really good at the game, and then he was on a bad tribal switch up. He got switched onto a tribe where he was. They they voted him out, you know, not for anything that he did wrong, but because he had been on Tribe A and got switched over to Tribe B. And that was the end, you know. And it was kind of an ignominious end for a super fan. And I was like, I would hate for my involvement. Like, I would get, like, one crack at it and for it to go badly. I would rather that my involvement be something, like, a little bit more sustained. Yeah, because then you have your moment in the sun and then it's... Then- yeah, it's, it's a risk. It's, it's a, risk. a risk. Whereas, like, I'd rather sort of work, uh, you know, like, help help the show continue to retain the aspects of it that I like the most. Right, and be part of it ongoing. Have you ever been on location with it? Have you ever been to any of the places? Uh, I got to visit once. Uh, I visited uh, Nicaragua as a, as a friend. Uh, uh, John uh, invited me to uh, come out and check out the set. So yeah, I got to visit Challenge Beach and see a couple of their builds out there. I love time. that it's called Challenge Beach, first of all. <laughs> what surprised you about it? Um... Because a lot of times when you go to like regular sets, like oh gosh, the Price is Right is so small, mm-hmm. or this is so weird, or you know, like what did anything surprise you about being there? Um, well, I mean, I was in this little surfing village called San Juan del Sur, and uh, the the you know the, the challenges they, they look you know very epic and very grand in their scope, but um, uh, the main thing that I remember is that there was this coffee shop in San Juan del Sur called El Gato Negro that had the best espresso brownies that I have ever had in my life. Like, Almost worth the trip. Well worth the trip. Well worth the trip. I remember that really well. And I remember that, uh, you know, there was just, um, you know, you've got this whole, like, uh, production uh, coming into town, and I just remembered that there was just this very positive, welcoming vibe. I mean, like, that, that kind of thing could go badly, right? Like, you can imagine a scenario where production comes to a small town in the United States or anywhere else, and, you know, their trucks are rolling over things, or, you know, their people are, you know, being disruptive or whatever. But right. every, like, the... 
the harmony between the locals and the production crew um, was really harmonious. Yeah. <laughs> What's Probst like? Jeff uh, Probst, our host. Uh, I have only met Jeff in passing, and he is uh, just as charming and personable as you would expect. I like that he's stuck with it. He's like, you know what? This is my gig. This is my jam. I'm into it. I mean, I ain't going nowhere. So Jeff started as just the host. Now he has a, uh, uh, you know, he's he's got more of a firm creative hand on the project. And I, just speaking as somebody who watches the show, I'm so happy about how the show has kept it fresh. I mean, my wife still watches Project Runway, and I sometimes watch it with her. And it really hasn't changed, right? It's pretty much the same as it's always yeah, been. they're still going to mood. They're still going to mood. Right. Uh, and uh, that's fine, it's, because like you said, it's kind of like comfort food. Right. But I really appreciate the ways in which Survivor has continued to like grow and experiment. Yeah. Who's your favorite player ever? I have a real fondness for Eric Reichenbach, who is the ice cream scooper. Who played on Fans vs. Favorites. And what most people remember him... Was he a fan? He was a fan. Right. And then he came back and played... There have been two seasons of Fans vs. Favorites. Right. He was a fan. And then he came back and played as a favorite. That's Which like, is kind of amazing. Yeah. What most people remember him for is he gave away the immunity necklace at the final five and was voted out. Um, and people say that was the dumbest move in Survivor history. That's not what I remember him for. I remember he was a great athlete. He was very funny... Um, even for the very first challenge, uh, the fans and the favorites are in side-by-side sand pits digging up puzzle pieces, and Eric is throwing his sand as he's digging into the face of the other tribe. Like, he's using that as an opportunity. He's turning it into a combat challenge. Yeah. When it was really just like a searching for challenge. Yeah. I really appreciated that. He's, That's a good twist. He cracks me up. He's hilarious. I would say he's one of my very favorites. Uh, if you had to... Um be marooned on an island with mm-hmm. one of the women and <laughs> repopulate the world. <laughs> I love this question. Right? Yeah. Because it's not my fault. I'm not... I'm, no. I'm still faithful to my wife, You're, but she sh- and the rest of the world were tragically... They died. Yes. When the aliens, scientists. I don't scientists, know. Yeah. From my room escape. The fiction right. became yes. real. It became totally real. God. Okay. So from a purely like carnal, um, objectifying... Well, no, not objectifying because of course I respect all of these contestants. And you're stuck with them. Too. And I'm stuck with them. Yeah. Whom do I most want to reproduce with? Um, yeah. Uh, Brenda from... Uh, only people like, people like me who have... Uh, like an insane encyclopedic knowledge of Survivor will be like, oh yeah, I know what oh, he's yeah. talking about. Yeah. Like, Brenda Lowe from Survivor Nicaragua is a beauty. There you go. Um, uh, yeah, I'll t- I don't need to. I don't Fair need enough. To. Yeah, I'll go with Brenda. I here's my thing. Sometimes with reality shows, when I'm really into them, they're the most important thing in the world. Yes. Like I used to really be into Amazing Race, and then it would end, and a week later, I couldn't tell you who won. Yeah. I couldn't tell you who who was there. You remember some people like yeah. Charla and Myrna. Charlotte and Myrna, oh my gosh, yeah. I got to meet Charla. Charla was the little person. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing, and you know what I just recently watched that's not new, but um, the HBO series The Comeback? Oh, I love it, yeah. It's so good, Yeah, and Charla has a great uh, guest role on yeah. playing herself. Yeah, they yeah. found, they got her. They uh, got it. Get, yeah. get me Charla. Get me Charla, I need her. Yeah. She was so good. I used to love The Amazing Race. Uh-huh. Now, are you a fan of that? I think it stopped being good. I know. I sort of... <laughs> I remember thinking, I hope this show never ends. And then at one point I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I don't know what happened. It stopped being good. They didn't switch it up. Survivor switches it up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, 
so people will sometimes like look at me like with horror at the yeah. at the amount of retention that I have about Survivor. But I feel like if you met somebody and they knew everything about the Oakland A's, they knew exactly which year the Oakland A's went to the World Series and what the batting order was right. in nineteen. Like that's a thing. Yeah, you know, nobody's people, gonna think you're a freak. Yeah, people think you're a freak when you know everything about Survivor. Well, excuse me, it's my favorite show, and there have been a lot more seasons of baseball than there have been of Survivor. Is there a word for fans of Survivor like deadheads <laughs> or you know uh, little monsters? So <laughs> I know that. It, no, I don't think so. I think just people think, call themselves Survivor fans or super yeah. fans or super duper fans. But among the community of super fans, there is a derogatory term for people who say they watch the show but don't really love it. But don't really know. They so. call them the casuals. Oh, the casuals. The casuals are the people who are like, oh, I love Survivor. Rupert's my favorite. Rupert's the wrong answer. Rupert's the wrong answer. <laughs> Rupert's sort of obvious. You kind of remember him. Yeah. yeah. And they brought him back like four times. Yeah. So Rupert's the wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the title of this podcast, Rupert's the wrong answer. <laughs> um, when you started pitching challenges, what was your, what was a proud moment where you're like, you had this idea in your head and you drew it out on a napkin and then before you, then it was realized. Um... I would say uh, probably um, a favorite moment was uh, I suggested, uh, you know, sometimes they'll do a word scramble and they need like a a 10 letter word. Um, And I suggested the triumphant would be a good 10 letter word. And then like, I never find out what's happening on the episodes until they air. Um, but, uh, then like to watch these coconuts, like bobbing to the surface of the water. And there was like an H and a U and I was like, Oh, I think they picked my, my word. word. Yeah. It was like, I reached to the TV and painted the letters out of the coconuts. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I loved games when I was a kid. I had every home game of, of every TV show, like pyramid and price is right. And like with price is right. If the, the box that you bought at the store didn't have like 10 chances or it didn't have like a certain game within the game, Whoa. I would make it myself. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying, like, it's not that the boxed game had... Because when you go on Prices Right, you don't know which you don't game, know what you're, game you're gonna get. But when you bought the home game, they only made one home... It wasn't like you could buy a different home there game. There were a few editions, but, oh, okay, but yeah. they would have, like, that the would obvious... Be a good but idea. then Prices Right would come out with a new pricing game, but it wouldn't be in the In the box. Game. And so, so you I would own. make it. I, the golfing game, which was called Hole-in-One, uh-huh. I, I made that as Tiddlywinks. Right? Wait, explain it to me. It's where First you, of all, how do you play hole-in-one? Hole-in-one is there are, like, grocery store items that you prize, and depending on how well you do on that part is where you golf. It's a mini golf hole. And the better you do in the pricing, the closer you are to the hole when you have to putt, right? So the end of it is the putting, and that if you make it in the hole, you win the car or mm-hmm. whatever. Well, I didn't have golfing, so I got a lid off my mother's, like, aerosol can. Okay. <laughs> and then I got a green piece of felt, and oh. you would tiddlywink would, would determine how close you got to the, uh, to the lid to do your tiddlywinks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, so my point is... You used what you had around you. I used what I had around me. But my point is, the idea of, like, having an idea and then seeing the amazing props that they oh, build. Yeah. And, like, you have this idea and then you walk in and there's there's all of these giant blocks and they're color-coded yes. and they look all tiki-roomy. And yes. I'd say, you know, to everyone who has jumped off, who has, like, fallen off of watching Survivor, come back and check out the show. The production value has stayed really high. That was one of the things that kind of turned me off of Amazing Races. It really seemed like... A lot of it, they were just kind of mailing it in. Yeah. You know, um, 
And uh, uh, does it piss you off that Amazing Race would win the Emmy every year? I, I love the show, and it yeah. pisses me off. Uh, that's not the kind of thing that I really let get to me. Good, you know, it's that's important. It's, the Emmys are. I mean, come on. Now. <laughs> I know, but every year I'm that sure. show would win. I, so yeah, I know. I think it's... It, it was a... It, it was a it, I don't even think people were watching or judging. They I just think, like, oh, they go around the world. Yep. Click. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I mean, yeah. you know, award shows are a little bit of a circle jerk. I yeah. Mean, that's not, I don't know if that's a hot take, but... Yeah. Uh, um, you don't <laughs> let it get to you, is my point. Yeah. I clearly am more bothered by it than, than you are. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not Miami. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, last question about Survivor. Yeah. As a fan, why does it work so well? It's, what, is it, what have you learned about people and the psychology of competition and lying and all, all of that intrigue? I, you know, this most recent season had a young man named Adam who was the winner, and he was very strong. And I, I mean, I don't remember any instances of his lying. I think, to answer your question, I think what makes the show great is the people and, and the circumstances that we put them into. I mean, I don't know that there's like a magic formula. I think that the casting department does a great job of selecting contestants who are going to leave it all on the field. And there's a lot of like um, great like recursive um, you know, benefit because people watch Survivor and they go, oh, if I played, I would play it like this. And then they go and play, but then they're playing with other people who have watched it and said, if I played, I would play it like this. And then they're playing with people who have never seen Survivor and don't know how it works. And they're figuring it out, like, while they're on the island. Um, and, you know, you put them in these, in these great circumstances, uh, you know, having them, like, you know, struggle and strain and, and you know, persevere. Uh, I think it's very uplifting. Also, I, it's not, like, necessarily the number one reason people tune in. But I think the travel TV aspect of it is really great as well. You get to see these beautiful parts of the world. It's like, you know, National Geographic television. You get to see these beautiful parts of the world and this great animal life. That's cool. I'm, I'm going to check back in on Survivor. I'm going to check back shot. in. The season that's coming up, it has returning players. And so there so might it be... So it hasn't season. started yet. The new season hasn't started yet. It starts in March. Still have that same old... The, the soundtrack? Oh. I love it. Yeah. You gotta have the soundtrack. It's classic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can't, you yeah, can't not March have that. 8th. Yeah, you, you yeah. might see some, some players that you recognize. Some people okay. that you like come back to play again. There you go. Now, speaking of games, are you a video gamer? Do you do you no. like that even as a fan? No, I, you know, I didn't grow up like it. it, it we, we didn't have digital games in my house growing up. Um, but I, so I never really picked up the habit, yeah. but what I, the only digital game or a digital game that I really enjoy playing is the, the, you don't know, Jack family of games, which is mm. now called Jackbox games. Do you know these? No, I do oh not. Oh my God, you would love them. Right. So what's great about you don't know Jack games is that they started, uh, you know, as people's gameplay habits have changed, their games have evolved with them. They're always really funny. They're really smart. They started making CD-ROM games where you'd have like four people sitting around the PC and buzzing in with their answers. And then they switched over to Facebook. They had a Facebook game that you could log in and play. Right. And now, um, and then basically they put out a statement. They were like, ah, people aren't really playing Facebook games anymore, so we're, we're putting this to bed. Um, they aren't, are they? No. Do you so play Facebook weird. games no, anymore? I no, nope. I don't think I ever really played them. Nope. It's interesting what people are just done with stuff. Yep. So what yeah. they have now is their games that you can like throw up on your Apple TV. Well, not you don't throw up on your Apple yeah. TV. You can project. Don't, it, you can try beam. not to throw up on your Apple. It's TV. an expensive device. Yeah, you beam the game so it's up on the Apple TV, and everybody sits around, and you can use your phone as the ring-in device. Yeah. So you can type in your answers, or it'll be like do a drawing on your phone, and you use your finger and you do a drawing, and it puts them all up on the screen. It's so slick. That's really cool. I de- we're gonna have you over. Okay, and I want to do a game night. Games. Yes. Oh my god. So so so. 
the what's awesome about the work that I do with Wise Guys is it's brought me to all these really interesting places. Like I have the opportunity to contribute challenges to Survivor, and I also get to kind of make games and gameplay my work as well as my hobby. So I just got back from uh, yesterday. I drove back from San Francisco where I did a corporate program for a group. They were an industrial adhesives group, and they were international. Oh, those guys are party animals. Let me tell you, I have <laughs> nothing but complimentary things to say about this group. Here's why. They were international. They were in San Francisco for the event. And they called us up and they said, we want to do an amazing race game. We want to see Coit Tower. We want to see Chinatown. We want to see Lombard Street. And uh, because, you know, they're in from out of town, we want to see, this is how we're going to see the sites of San Francisco while we're in town. Right. And we said, you've totally called the right guys. We can do this. And then about 10 days before the event, forecast starts calling for rain. And we get closer and closer and forecast calls to rain. And I'm on calls with the client and I say, here's what we can do. We can give everybody ponchos because when they left, you know, Germany or Dubai or wherever they were flying in from, maybe they didn't check the forecast. Maybe they didn't bring rain gear. We're going to give everybody a waterproof poncho. We're going to move as many of our outdoor checkpoints indoors as we can. But they're going to get wet. You know, from location to location, they're going to get wet. We will switch the program. We will do an indoors game. We'll do minute to win it in the ballroom if you want Whatever is going to make this success from your perspective. And she said, you know what? I think we're going to dig deep. We're going to stick with Amazing Race Game. And, you know, we're going to mitigate as best as we can. And I said, that's what we will do. And eight teams started the game and eight teams finished the game. I was sure that there would be at least some or maybe all who would go, forget this. We're hitting the bar. They persevered all the way to the finish line. I was blown away with how hardcore they were. And it rained. And it, it rained. Ra- so it, did, it wasn't dumping like it is right now. Yeah. But it did rain. Inter- it, like, you know, there were showers yeah. intermittently for the entire game. But it was cold and it was windy. When they got to the second to last checkpoint, I did this challenge that was inspired by a game that I saw on Australian Amazing Race. Okay. Um, where it was like the how well do you know your team game. Okay. You had to pick one member of your team because the team's at six or seven people. I love that you watch Australian Amazing Race, by the way. I've heard it through. I, so one yeah. of the fans of Survivor said, if, you know, in between seasons, like, you should check out Amazing Race Australia Season 2. And it was really good. Yeah. I recommend it. You have to, like, BitTorrent it or something. Okay. I don't know what that is. I know. Course. Yeah. You can't do it okay. with an AOL email. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> and. There's so much shame now about It's like, you pick who on your team knows everybody the best. That guy. Okay, great. Everybody else goes into isolation. So that person writes a list with the name of everybody on your team, including yourself. And we give you a list of adjectives. They're all positive adjectives. Brainy, athletic, motivational, funny, resourceful, clever, multi-talented, and a few more. You have to pick one adjective for each member of your team, and you can't repeat any. When you're done, you go into isolation. And then we say to your team, you have to match which adjective did your teammate partner with each of you. Right. And when they get it right, when the answers match, they can go to the finish line. Right. So, and this was, it was a four-hour game. And the first team got to the Know Your Team station at about the three-and-a-half-hour mark. And I said, you got, I was there waiting for it. I said, you guys... This is it. This is your last challenge. Finish this, and you can go to the finish line. And they were like, who's your know-it-all? Okay, her, everybody else is going to go to the bar. And I was like, you need to write. And she goes, I can't move my fingers. I can't write right now because it was so cold. Wow. So we, we took her inside, and we warmed her up, and everybody you know, finished. And, um, I mean, they, everybody who got to the finish line, they looked so bedraggled and so <laughs> cold. and so Because we didn't let them... Uh, take Uber or Lyft or buses. They were allowed to take a cable car from one location to another if they wanted to, but it was a bad idea because they're slow and expensive. I don't think anybody did. I think everybody walked. 
But everybody finished the game. Nobody threw in the towel. One team threatened to quit, and then they were like, eh, uh, let's see what else you got. Uh, do, do you know San Francisco really well? I know it pretty well. I was born and raised in Oakland. Okay, so you, you knew I the landmarks. And- so when we're, do, when we're creating a game like that, the first thing we do is we scout it using Google Earth. Right. Um, because the street view is like, it works really, really well. And then we'll like, you're just like that kid in Lion that uses Google Earth. Uh, haven't seen that one yet. That, the, yes! the Google Earth is a big plot point in that movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the street view gives you an idea of like, well, okay, if I haven't walked from here to here, that's a mile. That's a little bit farther than we like the teams to walk. So is there something that's about equidistant between them? Oh, there's a park. We can have them stop at the park and do a challenge, and then they move on, and they do another half mile. Like We right. try not to have them go more than like a half mile at a time, like 10 minutes or so. Right. So first I use Google Earth, and then, as it happens, um, this event was booked in like late November, and then I spent the holidays, Christmas time, um, up in the Bay Area. So I went into San Francisco, and I walked the course myself, because I won't make the teams do anything that I haven't tried right. to make sure that it'll work. That's fair. And then I get to go to like the Cable Car Museum in San Francisco, and I snap photos of everything there, so then when I go home, I can create a puzzle that the teams are going to have to solve at the cable car museum running around and finding the different exhibits of the cable car museum and so on so i had walked the course and i knew that it was doable i hadn't done it in the rain um but the winning team crossed the finish line at uh, about uh, four uh, you know about uh, 15 minutes before the end of the game that's cool it was very thrilling like i mean we put all this work into it when i'm at the starting line teaching the teams the rules like you know be safe look both ways before you cross the street right the streets and staircases are going to be slick um, you know, don't take public transportation, don't get in the lift, don't get into Uber. I'm really excited because I want to know who's going to win, right? It's yeah. like watching a season of Amazing Race, except that I created the whole thing. That's amazing. <laughs> now, it's like putting on a show. So what's, what's something that you weren't sure was going to work that just worked amazingly? The, and what's something that went totally wrong? So the cable car puzzle, I wasn't sure it was going to work because we were really, you know, the cable car puzzle, I started work on it at like 1230 at night. And was done at like one o'clock because we had to get it printed because we were we were just we were shipping out we were packing out of LA and getting ready to go to San Francisco. Right. So that really got left to the last minute, and I was like half asleep while I was putting it together because what I did was I just took photos of a bunch of the cable cars that had numbers on them, and I blacked out the numbers, and I said if you find all these numbers and add them up, what do you get? Right. And the answer was 1906 because that was the year of the Great San Francisco earthquake. So I like when you're creating a puzzle, if the answer is a number, I would like it to be something that seems right. Yeah. You know, if the answer is like 7,032, yeah. like, you're like, well, so, like, what? This doesn't make any sense. So, um, once teams started solving the cable car puzzle, and like, we had all the actors were on a, a group text, right. and they're saying, the black team has finished the cable car puzzle and is on their way. I was like, yes! It wasn't broken! Yeah. Like, I gave it to my you're partner. So relieved. I gave it to my partner to test, but he was half asleep also. Yeah. So, that was something I wasn't sure was going to work. The thing that didn't work exactly the way we wanted to was the Lombard Street Challenge. The Lombard Street Challenge was. Uh, you know, on Amazing Race, they have a detour. You can choose between two. Right. You can choose between carbs or cardio. Right. If you choose cardio, one member of your team has to run to the top of Lombard Street, get a photo of the sign that's up there to prove that you did it, and then run back down. Or you can choose carbs. For carbs, we're going to give you pretzels, which are just as twisted as Lombard Street is. You're going to play a game of Hangman where you bite the pretzels into the shape of the letters to guess which letters are in this phrase. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Can you make all the letters with pretzels? Yep. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, but nobody picked carbs. Everybody sent one member of the team to run Running the top. Okay. Yeah, they so were. So you all, had pretzels left over. We had a lot of leftover pretzels. Are you thinking all the time about 
oh, things like that? Are you at a restaurant going, oh, what if we did this with a spoon? All the time, yes. Um, for a while, one of the things I found the most inspiring was aprons. I spent a while Before, being... Well, aprons. They're so useful. <laughs> like, I'm a dad now. I have a boy who's just turned five, and Congrats. after he goes to bed, thank you. Well, sure, yeah, I haven't, I haven't done anything that has directly led to him to die in five yeah, years. So I think good. congrats is appropriate. Um, keep him alive till 25. That's what we say. Um, and after that, he's on his own. Um, so after the, after he goes to bed, um, a big part of the day is like, okay, now we got to clean up in the kitchen and now, you know, we got to you know, get this ready. And, you know, it's just like, there's the wind down of the day of having a child. Cause he's running around and playing with toys. Right. And he's really good about cleaning up, but the house is a mess. And, um, and so sometimes, you know, an apron is just, you know, you can clean this dishes when you're wearing an apron and it's like extra pockets. Like yeah. if, if it's nighttime and he's gone to bed and I put on my sweatpants or whatever and there's no pockets, my apron has like a little pouch in the front that yeah. I can put, I can put on, I can put in my earphone and listen to your podcast with my earbuds and I can tuck the phone right into the apron. So aprons are great. And I was like, we can play a game with an apron. So we made up this game. Uh, we were we were doing some consulting work for um, Disney theme parks. They wanted to add some of the kind of games like we create, like real live games played in real life, right. to some of their theme parks. That's and an amazing gig. It was. We we submitted some ideas. We didn't end up. You know, there are none of our games at Disney theme parks, but just the opportunity to consult. I mean, that's amazing. It was it was great. And the game that we made uh, that so here's what happened. So uh, they were like, you can use any of the Disney properties, make up whatever. So we were like, okay, well, we can do like a sandcastle building game, like based on Sebastian from Little Mermaid, and we had an idea for like um, uh, a uh, a mad uh, Alice's mad game of croquet sort of thing. But the idea that I ended up liking the most was um, a Muppets thing because you remember Disney acquired yeah. Muppets, and so we made a game called Hoopatooter. Which is hot potato played with a Swedish chef. Yeah. Okay, so you have four teams of two, and in each team, one person is wearing the apron around the neck, but the strings are hanging loose, loosey-goosey like spaghetti. And the other team member is holding the bottom of the apron, so it forms like a little parachute. Right. And so... Pouch. The sh- yeah, like a pouch. So the chef, it's a game played with real vegetables. The chef will throw broccoli to you, and you have to, working as a team, catch it in your apron... And then you have to snap the broccoli in the air so that another pair of two can catch the broccoli. It's like a game of hot potato played with actual potatoes. Right. And everybody has a vegetable that they're catching and tossing. And there's a pot, a big soup pot in the middle of the game. And when the chef says, soup's on, everybody has to land their vegetable in the pot. And the last person to get their vegetable in is out. So when you shoot for the pot, if it falls on the ground, can you pick it up? You can pick it up up in your hands, put it back in your apron, and then try to snap. It's a snapping motion. Yes, it... So when we host this game, we do, like my partner and I, we do it in Swedish Chef Talk. And we yeah. do the rules in gobbledygook. And so people are like, what is happening? But then just by like pointing and gesturing, they get it. And then they're like, oh, we, we get this. People go gaga for this game. People love this game. It is very silly. In truth, it's a little bit more like an activity than it is like a game. Like there are rules and there's ways that you can lose. But it's basically just a way to frolic. And... um we actually won an award for it at the Come Out and Play Festival in New York. We won for Best Family Game because it's something parents and kids can play together. It's like a skill equalizer. Right. Um, there was this a woman, uh, this uh, girl, little girl, um, who was in a wheelchair, and she played with her dad. She had the apron around her neck, and he was holding the loose end, and they were able to play with all the other teams. And kind of when we saw that happen, we were like, this is, you know, we made something pretty special um, that people really dug. So, yeah, that, that's our Hoot Patooter game. What's the most satisfying part? What are those moments where you're like, wow, this is cool? Um, 
games are for people to play. And I get to play them with them. If I were a novelist and I wrote a book, somebody might say, oh, I, I read your book, but I don't get to read it along with them. When I get to play the games that I made with people, when I get to host them and see them experiencing it, that is really fun. We made a game that's called, it, was, it started off as an idea for a survivor challenge, it's a mental game where you had to like remember, it was a game that you played with coins, different colored coins that had heads and a tails, and you had to flip them and swap them to get them in the right order. And it didn't move forward as a survivor game, but that's what's great about having this company, is that the ideas that I make that are too silly for survivor, I can use in my team building world, right. and the ideas that are too dangerous for the team building world, I can, I can use in survivor. Um, and um, uh, so we were like, okay, well, the, the, how can we make this game for a street games festival? What can we do that's bigger? What's like a coin, but bigger that people can flip and swap? And I was like, well, what about pizza boxes? What if instead of four small coins on a table, you've got four big pizza boxes on the sidewalk? And so that's what we did. So the game is now called Flipperoni Pizza, and you're flipping pizza boxes over and swapping them with your team, trying to remember the right order to put them in. And we played this game at a games festival in San Francisco, and there was this dad and his son who were playing, and they figured out basically a hack to the game that would help them win. And they were like high-fiving, and they were so exciting. And the rules of the game were things like, Okay, I'm going to give you four steps, and you can't start moving the boxes until I say go. Okay, so flip the red box, swap the green and yellow box, flip the blue box, go. And then you're flipping, and you're swapping, and you have to be the team that gets it done the first, because my team has four pizza boxes, and the other team has four pizza boxes. So this dad and his son have figured out, like, a hack, and they're high-fiving, and then the dad goes, not bad for a colorblind dad. And I said, are you really colorblind? And he said, yeah. And I said, then how are you doing this? And he goes, you know, with my son. You know, they work together as a team. So that was really, like, I got a little, you know... I sometimes get kind of choked up when I see people, like, playing the games and enjoying them. I mean, it depends. Like, with the Amazing Race game, like, that's very exciting, and, like, that's that's adrenaline for me. But we when we do games at, like, festivals or when families are playing with each other, I get, uh, you know, I get a little emotional about it, you know, because you got parents and kids playing with each other without screens. Well, I just know from the corporate world, when you hear the, the term team building, there's a bit Everybody of an eye roll to trust it. falls, yeah. Yeah, but it <laughs> is a, that is a thing. That is oh, something yeah. that does come out of something. After you do something with somebody, you do feel closer to them. It's a, it's, you know, it's I, a real thing. I, would, I will defend to my dying day the benefits of playing with your coworkers. If you can't play together well, what makes you think that you can work together well? Like, what makes you think that just because everybody interviewed for the position and was available and was cool with the rate that they were going to get paid and you all sit in the same office, what makes you think that that means that you can work together well? Do you believe that you as an individual can work well with all kinds of people? Probably so. You're probably right, but you have to recognize that the other people have different ways of working that don't necessarily go well with yours. So we take you outside of the office, away from the day-to-day stress and anxieties and deadlines, and we give you an activity together that is fun, first and foremost, and you are playing together. But at the same time, you are seeing how other people get things done. You are seeing positive attributes about them that you don't necessarily get to see in the workplace. And you are forming a positive association and and optimistic memories with that person so that when you go back into the workplace, you are more invested in working with that person. You are more likely to go the extra mile for them and stick your neck out for them. I think that's awesome. We see it happen again and again. It is legit. The benefits are real. What's the most random group that you've had to create for? Like uh, nurses or (laughs) orthodontists or like... Both of those. Um... 
Well, okay, what's a random group that we did team building? Uh, I've run a couple work, like, um, uh, um, the first... The first event that we ever booked, we put up our website and we're like, okay, we are a business. Hope that phone rings. Um, it was a group and they played our QR code game, which is now retired. But right. you know, uh, And they were um, a, a organization, they were a nonprofit that helped Christian missionaries go on their missions. Wow. And I was like, did not envision this would be who we would be working for, but... Okay, right. and they were great. They also played a game in the rain as it happened. I guess yeah. that's, a, that's a theme of today's game. There you go, yeah. and it's raining now. We got a call, and here's another one that I loved, and I don't know if it's necessarily random, but I love this so much. We got a call from an event planning company, and they said, we're doing a program for uh, this financial group. There's 200 of them, and they're all geniuses, and they want uh, a suite of puzzles that they can do during hors d'oeuvres and drinks and they want one of the puzzles to be so hard that nobody can solve it. And, and I they're said, geniuses. I said, you've called the right guys. So we created this program, and there was one guy who solved everything in 45 minutes um, because they were geniuses. Right. But um, that was such a fun project because there was no point where we had to be like, oh, we better dumb this down. You know, like we, we made it complex and we made it challenging and the players really What kind really of puzzle it. was it? So the really difficult puzzle that nobody was supposed to be able to solve is a category of puzzle that was invented by Dan Katz for the MIT Mystery Hunt and it's called a duck conundrum. And a duck conundrum is a puzzle that rewards you for um, thinking like a robot. Do you remember the story, the urban legend about the teacher and she hands out these exams and the exams they say, read all the directions before you begin filling out the exam. And number one is like, you know, fill out your name and number two. And then the, the, the things that you fill out get harder and harder and harder until you get to number 30. And it says, write your name at the top of this exam. Do not fill out any of the other questions and hand it into the teacher. So the people who followed the first direction, which was to read all the right. way to the end before they started filling it in, they were done with it in 10 seconds. The people who did not follow that direction were filling out these like complex problems and they were working on it for hours. A duck conundrum is kind of like that. It, it rewards you for... Obeying priorities and following commands in order. So the one that we created was about four henchmen who were mood swingy, and it was for you had to get four players, and you each had a card, and it was a color coded card. So there was the red, blue, yellow, and purple card, and on one side it said happy, and on the other side it said sad, and. Um, you would follow a direction. Sometimes it would cause you to flip your card over and become sad. And sometimes you would perform an action that would trigger somebody else to flip their card over and become happy or sad. But if one person gets off or makes a mistake, the whole thing is ruined and you have to start over again. Wow. I love all the lingo in your world, right? Like <laughs> yeah. some of the stuff like the festivals and the games we play. Like what are some of those... The, the are... Come Out and Play Festival is in New York and San Francisco. And if this kind, if you're listening and this kind of work is interesting to you, it is absolutely someplace that you should check out. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also the Indicate Festival, which is here in L.A. every year. It's a great place to come and play these new games. Yes, I want to. Oh, yeah. We'd love to have you. I want to do it. Now, you, you went to school for theater. Yeah. You love to perform. Do you get to perform a lot in this world? Does it kind of scratch that itch for you? Yeah. Um, so I, I still I do shows with uh, CSZLA, um, right. the comedy sports team in Hollywood. Uh, I, and that's kind of like my 
rec softball league. That's how right. I still get to scratch the itch to perform. But when I'm hosting, whether it's Amazing Race or whether I'm pretending to be the Swedish chef, like that's that's when I still get to to perform. But as far as like the acting thing, there's a lot of great working actors, you know, in LA. You know, I stepped off that path. Right. And so far, you know, this is this has worked out better like for my schedule and like for where I'm supposed to be. Was there something that you were like as a kid that would connect the dots to what you're doing now? Um, I mean, I feel like probably like the theatrical background. I mean, I feel yeah. like there's so much overlap between plays and playing, right? right? Play acting to making games. I mean, like it started when I was at UCLA and, you know, just immersed in theater all the time. You know, I was doing improv with, with comedy sports and I was so interested in this like genre of game or gameplay that was like street theater. You know, the participants and the spectator weren't clearly defined. I mean, and there's this great growing genre of programs like Sleep No More in New York and Improv Everywhere. Um, you know, there's just so much opportunity for, you know, alternate realities, you know, when we need a break from the real reality. Yeah. Um, and opportunities to be playful and to role play. Um, there's an event. So there's a, there's two things that are kind of coming up that I'm excited about that I, that I want to talk to you. Okay, about. cool. So we did an event this past October that went really well. And we're going to do it again this next October. And I, I hope your listeners will come out and join us. Yes. It was an evening of competitive murder at the heritage square museum. We called it the heritage scare. Okay. And you bought your admission ticket and then you entered the heritage scare, the heritage square museum, which is this living history museum that is like this cul-de-sac of these preserved Victorian houses. And in each one of them, when you entered, you would go in with a group of ten, sometimes a smaller group, and there would be a strategy game that we would teach you the rules of that would involve like taking people off in the nooks and crannies and making deals and backstabbing people and murdering the other players in order to win. Wow. Uh, and you did you create it? Yes. That's amazing. And we don't usually do ticketed events for the public. Most right. of what we do is private events for right. corporate groups. But this was, we were like, we're, ta- we're taking a chance on this one. And we sold out. We had 200 people there murdering each other. Um, and it was so fun. So we're bringing it back. We're doing it October 7th and October 14th of this year. And the reason I bring that up is one of the events in that, uh, in that program is called Clue House. Um, and when we first started doing it, I got to play... Curry, the butler, right. who is the host of Clue House. And in this game, each player gets a card telling you what your weapon is. And the object of the game is to get another player alone in a room with no witnesses where your weapon is present. Because then you can kill that person and score a point. Right, um, okay. And so Curry, the butler, teaches everybody the rules. And I get to do it in character. It's like, you know, my tribute to Tim Curry, you know. So. Aww. <laughs> that's cool. Does, how does he talk? Uh, uh, <clears throat> we have... Eight guests, two ghosts, and the clock has just struck midnight. Oh. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Clue House. I apologize. Your host, Lord and Lady Clue, are not here to welcome you, but they have asked me, Curry, the butler, to welcome you on their behalf. I want to go to Clue House. Come to Clue House. I love it. You might get murdered, but if you get murdered, yes. there's wine. That's perfect. <laughs> it's all good. All right. We were going to do some random observation deck thing. Yep. But uh, something else I read on your website, you marry people. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a, that's a little hobby. Uh, I, I perform weddings. How many have you done? Eight. But, uh, but what I was reading about is that you really, when it comes to what you're going to say, you really do a lot of work on it. You interview the bride and groom. I do. I, the way I pitch myself is uh, if you're looking for somebody who's going to talk for a long time and involve religion, you know, I'm the wrong person. Right. But what I do is it's going to be about 20 to 25 minutes from the moment 
I start talking until I say, you may kiss the bride. Right. And it's going to be funny. It's not going to be a stand-up routine, but there will be levity. Right. And I think of it as like doing the This American Life version of your story. And the way I do that is I meet with the, each member who's getting married separately, and I'll go for a walk with them, and I'll talk to, I'll ask them to tell me the story of how they met and what the other person means to me. And I create like a bespoke, personalized story about that couple, and I do it without notes is kind of the other thing that's like my, you know, I have an index card in my pocket if I need like a reminder, um, but uh uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, so far, so far I'm still, my, my mental agility is holding up. So. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a ton of work for you. It you, is. And so you that's, get paid for it I'm is... really expensive. Okay. <laughs> that's why I don't do that many. Good. Because I keep raising my rates. You should. That's a lot, that's like a whole, that's a, that's a very specific, lot of work thing. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about when you're creating games are you super crafty? Are you good with markers? Do you run? Oh, no. Are you running to Kinkos all the time? Are you? How do you do the? How do you do the physical stuff? Because I love office supplies. Me too. I get like very inspired stuff. when I'm at Container Store. Yes. At Office Depot. Yes. I'm always looking around and be like, Oh, I can make a game out of those buckets. Yeah. Oh, I can make, look at that interesting shape of Post-it. I can make yeah. a game out of those. Right. Um, I'm. But no, my business partner Greg is definitely better when it comes to fabricating the game materials. Yes. I'm. 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 Uh, I'm better at proofreading and copy editing. Okay. I catch the typos. You divide the, the tasks. He's probably very good with the glue gun. Very good with the glue gun. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Okay. Here's some random questions. What kind of a driver are you? <laughs> I have been accused of being the kind of driver who will uh, move from the left lane all the way four lanes over to the right lane in a short amount of time. But... Um, I, I don't know. I've uh, I haven't been in a collision that was my fault since I was in high school. So I think I'm a good driver. Uh, I never text while I'm driving. Uh, Oprah would be proud of that. Yeah, and I, and as am I. Yeah, uh, and uh, basically I don't. Oh, I hate it when people complain about traffic. If I'm in the car and it's trafficy and somebody's like, oh, "Boy, what do you think it's an accident?" It's like, I don't know. And I don't care. We're going to be here for a while. If there's air conditioning and a radio, we're going to be fine. Let's talk about anything else. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah. I don't want to hear about traffic ever. Yeah. (laughs) I don't... If you're going to live in L.A. Or anywhere. Yeah. I hear you. People talking about traffic is like people telling me about their dreams. Like, I am just waiting for you to stop talking. (laughs) What's the most trouble you ever got in in school? Oh, that's easy. We had a substitute teacher when I was in fifth grade, and I pulled a prank on her. We had um, uh, a, a compost bin with worms, and I left worms on her desk while she was out of her desk. Uh, and uh, she came back and found the worms on her desk, and she was like, Who did this? Who put the worms on the desk? Uh, and I stood up and I confessed that it was me, because she said she was going to make everybody stay after school and write lines if somebody didn't confess. Uh, and I confessed, and then the principal was like, The first thing I have to ask is... Did you actually do it? Or are you confessing on somebody else's behalf? Because like I was a good kid, and it was, right. and I was like, no, I, I did it, and um, I don't believe there was any punishment. No, you owned it. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I was. I must have been ten. Yeah. All right. What's the worst costume or uniform you've ever had to wear for work? You know, I don't think I've ever had to wear a bad costume or uniform. When I was when I worked for the Go Game, they had. Um, uh, orange jumpsuits that everybody had to wear, 
And um, they eventually I got one that like had my name on it and it was kind of like tailored. But when I first started working there, it was like I think they had just bought it from a garden supply store and it totally looked like I should have been picking up trash by the side of the Right. Floor. I remember that jumpsuit. Yeah. From the Go Game. The Go Game was really fun. They're still in business. They're a great we were company. Team Molly. Named after the Elizabeth Shue movie Molly. Oh, is it the one where she can't talk? It's the one where she has she has uh, she's mentally thinking, challenged, yeah, and then she gets less mentally challenged, and then she gets goes back to being mentally challenged. It's like Flowers for Algernon, oh. but you feel like it's one of those movies that's kind of a fun, campy, like so bad it's good. Yeah, like when Jodie Foster plays Nell. Yes, yeah, it's like that. Because you feel like they're going for the Oscar. Yeah, they, they, well, you know what's the line from Tropic Thunder? You never go full. R. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like that. But we were Team Molly. We had the picture of Molly. Oh, I remember shirts. the shirts. That was when we did the, the screening of Midnight Madness at the Egyptian. We did a scavenger hunt. Wasn't that it? No. What was the that game sounds you amazing? Played? We were over by Barnsdale Park, and oh, was it the Astronauts versus Lumberjacks game? Yes. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, of course. These people are listening to this going. This is a whole <laughs> different universe. Okay. Uh, you love musicals. I do. And I ran into you recently at a Sondheim musical, and that's why we're reunited. Yes. And it feels so good. What song makes you cry? My Friend the Dictionary from the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Oh. Because uh, it's about a, someone who loves words. And you love words. I do love words. And I just recently, I still listen to... Uh, satellite radio and I listen to the Broadway station all the time Yeah, and they played the full cast recording of Violet which is the musical with Sutton Foster yes and that there's a dad song I'd never heard the musical and I was working I was actually creating the cable car puzzle this is just yeah. a couple nights ago and I have the Broadway station on to keep me peppy uh, although Violet is not what I'd call a peppy musical necessarily and in the second act I'd never heard of the show before but I you know, saw them perform a number from it at the Tonys and in the second act the dad sings a song about like you know, I got you out of bed every day. I did the best I could. And I definitely got choked up. Yeah. Got to you. Speaking of Sondheim, I, I want to I leave you with this because I have okay. another project coming up that I'm really excited about that I want to share with your listeners. So yeah. Center Theater Group approached us and said, we are going to be producing Into the Woods in the spring. Yes. And as part of the promotion, we want you guys to create a scavenger hunt. <gasps> and I said, I was put on this earth <laughs> to do an Into the Woods scavenger hunt. So we are doing it, and it's gonna. We're using a terrific app called Clue Keeper. We are trying again. You're trying. You're going back into technology. We're going back into technology, and you're going to be able to play it. So the information is going to be on the website in the program, and it's like it's the kind of thing where if you show up early to the show, you could play the game around the music center and Grand Park. I Um, love Grand Park. I love that whole thing. So Grand Park is the woods. And I'm going to tell you the story of this musical, uh, the story of this game, because we had the opportunity. Like, and I was like. I, I, I want this to be good. I want this to be a scavenger hunt that's worthy of Into the Woods, which is probably right. my favorite You want favorite to do the Sondheim of, of scavenger hunt. I, I mean, that's setting my goals really high. Yeah. But the story is this. Okay, so you are the baker's mother, and the baker is a young boy. And yes. the baker's father comes home and says, the witch was going to kill me, but she let me live, provided that I would let her have our child. And you're the mother, and you're pregnant with the child. And you're like, I, you gave up our child. So you go to the witch and you say, is there any way you'll let us out of this deal? And the witch says, yeah, you have to get me these four items. The cow is white as milk, the cape is red as gold, right. the hair is yellow as gold, the slipper is... You, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's just from the straight from so the So you go to the woods, you go to Grand Park right. to get these items. Can we go to Starbucks first? You can, yeah. Okay. It's right okay. there. It's right there. But you're not getting them the same way that the baker gets them. Because... In this version, Little Red Riding Hood isn't even born yet, 
Okay. You get the red cape from an embarrassed-looking emperor who has fled his empire after a little child told everybody that he was naked. And he's wearing a cape, and you have to get it from him, right? It's the emperor's new clothes. The hair as yellow as corn you get from Goldilocks, right? So you're getting the same items, but you're getting them from different, different. fairy tale characters. You have an interaction with these characters, and they're on your device. There's going to be one day where we're going to produce a live version of the game, and there's going to be actors in the park. And so you can show up at that and play that, or you can do it digitally on your phone, or you can do both. They're going to be different from each other. And that can happen anytime you go to the show? The digital version, it's not live yet. We're still yeah. writing it. But the digital version is called Go to the Woods, and you can play it at any time. Oh, that's amazing. And then there's going to be one live event that you can show up where there's actors you'll only be able to do once. But yeah, you can do it at any time. And they tell me that if you win, you'll get like a windscreen on your phone and they'll like give you a free drink at the lobby bar. Oh, it just gets better and better. So it's the, the go- chais are really good at the Amundsen's. Oh, this is a good yeah, tip. So it's the go to the woods is the name of the that's game. That's amazing. Yeah. So if you're a theater fan and you live in L.A., when you go to Into the Woods, give yourself a lot of time before yes. to do the scavenger hunt. And maybe you'll start it before the show, and then maybe you'll finish the intermission okay. or finish it after the show. How can people learn more about what you do? So you can go to my website, which is milesnye.com, and it's spelled M-Y-L-E-S-N-Y-E. Okay. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Miles Nye. And you can learn more about our company at wiseguyseevents.com. We'll be posting on Facebook about the Go to the Woods program when it's live. That's so cool. Yeah. We're really, this is, I'm, I'm very optimistic about uh, what we are going to be making and sharing with the public in 2017. That's amazing. I'm, I'm happy for them for thinking outside the box in a way and doing all that stuff. Okay, last question. Why do you love what you do? Um, play is the germ that made us human. And I get to play games for a living. What's not to like? Yeah, awesome. All right, it's been a pleasure reconnecting with you. It's so cool what you do. And um, go check out all this stuff online. Thank you, Dennis. Bye. Thanks again to Miles Nye for sharing what he does with us. And if you're in L.A., maybe I will see you at the End of the Woods game, because that sounds like a blast. All right, so this happened. We lost Mary Tyler Moore. And that's such a bummer, because she was amazing. And I just saw Ordinary People for the first time last Christmas. I know, fun Christmas Day movie, but um, I'd never seen it before. And man, she was uncompromising. She was like amazing in that movie. Anyway, um, I never got to meet her or interview her or anything, but I do have something kind of fun to share with you. Back in my Arizona State days, my friend Judy would record really funny outgoing messages for me and my roommates, and she did an amazing uh, Mary Tyler Moore. So here is my friend Judy, uh, circa 1986, leaving the outgoing message for me and my two roommates at the time as Mary Tyler Moore. I hope this works. WJM Newsroom, Mary Richards speaking. Oh, hi, Mr. Grant. No, Dennis, Mike, and Howard aren't in right now. Well, no, not Ted or Murray or Richie's not in here either. Uh, Mr. Grant, could you just leave your name and number after the beep and they'll get back to you? Oh, Rob, oh, Millie. Rest in peace, Mary Tyler Moore. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.